Hi everyone, my name is Steven Wakabayashi and you're listening to Yellow Glitter, mindfulness through the eyes and soul of queer Asian perspectives. This episode we're joined by very lovely guest, Derek Tran. Derek, welcome. Hello everyone, my name is Derek Tran, I'm from Los Angeles, I'm a business owner here, Asian American, he, him, and I guess an accidental activist. <laughs> Yes, and you've been on the podcast before talking about Gaijin love, and I think right now is a great time for us to also connect on just everything that's been happening lately. But before we get into kind of the meat of our discussion, which is going to be on anti-Asian hate crimes and everything that's happening in media, social media, all around us lately, just want to ask, how are you doing with COVID? Have you been vaccinated yet? What's your deal? I'm feeling okay. I've been back fully vaccinated uh, about a month ago, and I'm feeling a lot better about COVID. It really feels like we're at the end of the tunnel, or at least we can see the light a little bit more clearly. How are you? I just got vaccinated this week. Biden says we are going to have everyone vaccinated in, what, a month and a half? And... Right now in New York, everyone is still fighting for appointments, sold out all the time. And I want to have hope that we're going to get there and the light is at the end of the tunnel, but I just know so many people who still don't have it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, I, I mean, it's still proliferating in areas where the vaccination isn't available. So there's yeah. still that population that is a danger to us. Yeah, and low-income people, they don't have vaccinations still, and it's, yeah. Uh, (laughs) We could have a whole episode on it, but I would say overall, I think my mental health has uh, not been so good, given that we're all, (laughs) we're like cooped up. I'm laughing because, yeah, it's not a good thing. (laughs) You're there too, right? It's just... We're like cooped up. We can't go out to be safe. At the same time, we're just on social media. The only way we can really connect with one another and all we see scrolling every single post almost is just on hate crimes, murders. And I've been following a lot of stuff happening in Myanmar and just getting a lot of the really sad, upsetting news from there too. And so One, I am grateful that I have access to this type of information that lets me be more mindful of what's happening around me. It's a lot. Yes. Yeah, and you were mentioning before we hopped on the call just how all these accounts, they're just posting the same story over and over. And while one thing is really good for visibility for some of these hate crimes, but it for the people who follow all these accounts, right? The Asian activist account or just other activists in the space who are really staunch about talking about anti-Asian hate crimes. It's just all over so much, multiple times a day. It's trauma porn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And about all the <laughs> white gay men <laughs> who... Oh God, let- Let's just go there too. Just there's that horrific post, right? Where there's this gay white man who was just posing in his underwear 
by some fountain or whatever outdoors and saying, wow, I got your attention. Stop Asian hate crime. <laughs> and I was like, this is crazy. Literally, people are dying. I, it's ridiculous, and it has no bearing on the actual subject. But in, in their defense, that is their audience. That is who yeah. is following them. More my criticism is if we talk about their platform and then getting yeah. the view counts and monetizing their platforms, essentially it is a way to feed the monetization and for them to get right brand sponsorships, partnerships, followers with the pain. And the pressure test I do is if these didn't happen, will they get these followers and views? And in this case, it's not. Yeah. So that's just my only like criticism that I have, especially with these gay white men who say they're activists, but where I'm a little scrutinizing it is also when it was happening, right? In the height of it, complete silence, saying nothing about it. And there are some activists, right? Quote unquote, social media activists whose entire platform has been talking about social issues, but yet during the height of it, they have said nothing. And it's just, they're hopping on it now. It's literally been two months of extreme heightened Asian hate crimes. And now they're just posting about, we have to be allies. And I don't know, a part of me thinks the ally train has already left and it's about you need to come to the table with actionable things that you're going to do to create systemic change because this allyship hasn't helped at all whatsoever yet. It just feels empty to me. I completely agree with you. Circling back to you using the word hopping, like hopping mm -hmm. on a trend, yeah. that is exactly what they're doing now. They weren't doing it before it was cool. And now that it's cool, quote unquote, yeah. Meaning there's some actual conversations that should be had, we should be having on a larger platform. Now they are hopping on that popularity train to yeah. further push their agendas to popularize themselves. It's, it's yeah. ignoble at best. Yeah. And I think it just, to me too, it, it needs to be actionable, especially as we take a look at the gay community with cis gay men in general. It's just a lot of sexualization and fetishization of our community. And I've not seen a single gay white man who has ever talked about this on their channel, on the platform, saying anything about it. And yet they're trying to address all these anti-Asian hate crimes. And that's where it also feels really empty because in my head, I'm thinking, this is the stuff that's happening in your backyard, right? Literally. Mm -hmm. These are our people in our community who are the ones, right, either completely dismissing Asian folks on the dating platforms, writing no Asians in their profiles, being extremely racist, or on the flip side, completely fetishizing folks like us and saying extremely derogatory sexualizing comments and yet they want to be allies so that's where i'm in my head i'm like okay like why can't you be an ally in the thing that actually can move the needle directly in your community why this empty 
post. See, I, I, I've been and am where you are as well, but I'm trying to give some of these people a little bit of grace because some of them are trying to change. The ones that are trying to change, I'm trying to give them some grace because they're making attempts at being able to be good allies. But then those specific people that you're talking about, those people that are influencers and they literally have no talents, they are the ones that are the trouble because it's the performative nature of that that's problematic because they're not actually doing anything. They're doing it so that they seem like they're woke. They're doing it so that they can get more attention for themselves. But they, it's, it's more than just, oh, support your local Chinese restaurant. It's more than just donating. It's actually amplifying our issues so that people start to care about it. There's so much frustration that I've felt over the last year because it wasn't until the last year where the the quarantine really radicalized me, I will say. And it radicalized a lot of people because we were stuck in this situation where we were constantly on our phone and seeing these things happen. And while some of us chose to see, oh, this is pretty, this is nice, this is, oh, this is where I'd like to go, that some of us were trying to really focus on what is affecting the world, what is hurting people, what is making people feel good. And so it's, it's frustrating because we actually really care about this. We cared about this for a long time so that these people that are just posting it to post it, it's very hurtful and it doesn't help anybody. Yeah, because these people, right, the influencers, they are in the position to influence people. And when you are in the position of power slash you're actually making money off of it, I, I do think you have a little bit of responsibility to show up mm -hmm. in a way that is much greater than, let's say, people within our community that don't have a platform. I agree with you. Yeah. But at the same time, like people with a smaller platform, that, is, that aren't even a platform. They're not influencers. Say 1,000 people, 2,000 people, 3,000 mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. That is not a platform. That is not a brand. Yeah. So it doesn't affect them personally. But you know what? Those 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 followers are people listening to what you are posting. Mm. They're, they're listening and they're, they're, that's some action that you can change. Like you are making real change when you're actually posting this. It's not just a post. Like you are making people aware of our issues and what is happening in the world. Yeah. I like to set the record straight too with people who are listening. This podcast was all about mindfulness and awareness, but as I've explored what mindfulness means in the past year and a half, mindfulness when co-opted very hollow becomes the mindfulness that we see where in the wake of death, pain, trauma, people are still smiling, celebrating joy. In the wake of all the pain, if all you're doing is just completely blind to everything that's happening, I don't think that's being very mindful. And when I was studying meditation at Plum Village in France with Thich Nhat Hanh, they have this practice called active Buddhism that essentially says you have to integrate social activism into your awareness and consciousness of the world. Otherwise, you're just living this fantasy, especially when we are dealing with atrocities where people are literally taking the lives away from the people who are innocent, 
Somebody has to say something. Somebody has to stand up against it. Put responsibility where it is due. And while I also agree our mental health system is completely broken, the way we hand out punishments, all of that is also very broken. I don't believe that innocent lives should be taken away just because somebody had no patience or or they had a bad day right after the shooting in atlanta literally the cop Uh like the cop had an interview with the murderer went on national television and relayed all the stuff that he said as if it was truth and I, i was like is is there no critical thinking whatsoever happening in your mind to process this? And then, right, a few days later, it becomes uh, known to everyone in social media land how this police chief had been celebrating a store selling anti-Asian merchandise about the coronavirus in China. And yeah, it, I'm like so disheartened by everything that happened in Atlanta so disheartened by the way that it was dealt with. And then on top of it, I was really disheartened by what happened in Boulder, but also disheartened Mm -hmm. also in how quickly every mass media outlet documented all the stuff that happened in Boulder. All the victim stories were investigated, had beautiful narratives written within 12 hours of the shooting. I, I I was just, I was in disbelief. It took, what, almost a week to figure out the name, <laughs> to even get the right spelling of the names of the victims in Atlanta. Not only the right spelling, but the right pronunciation. Between the two shootings, you can see the juxtaposition between how the victims and their shooter were treated. The victims in Atlanta, they were dehumanized when that sheriff or representative said like that he was just having a bad day, but yet he humanizes the shooter. On the opposite end, in the Boulder shooting, they immediately humanized the victims. And because of the difference of the shooters, the shooter in Boulder was Middle Eastern opposed to the Caucasian in Atlanta. And so immediately they changed the narrative so that they can go back to this racist train and just circle back to Muslim ban and post 9-11. It's all the same source. It's all white supremacy trying to confuse us all. And as all these things are documented, right, there is this discussion around what is a hate crime and what isn't a hate crime. And there's just so much stuff circulating, especially with what happened in Atlanta. And one thing in particular, there was a South Korean news outlet that did interviews with some of the witnesses in Atlanta of the shooting. And one of the witnesses had mentioned in the news report of the South Korean news outlet of the shooter saying, I'm going to fucking kill all the Asian people. And Mm -hmm. nobody else picked up that story. And it was just absolutely crazy. Somebody had pointed this out to me and I dug a little bit further and CNN, MSNBC, right? Like mass media, they do not even want to mention it. I mean, that that is part of their agenda to protect 
the shooter if they are white. You can see the difference in how they treat shooters when they're Caucasian or white. Mm-hmm. They are treated with humanity, respect, and they always come in alive. How is that possible? Oh, yeah. They're all alive, and they have an interview. <laughs> they do. And oftentimes, like, the judge or the jury or whoever will reduce the sentence because they are white. It's all white supremacy. Like, I can't, it's hard to describe because you can see the differences between minor crimes uh, committed by black Americans opposed to major mass shootings caused by white Americans. The minor crimes will always receive a much harsher sentence or equal sentence to a mass shooting, which is ridiculous. We should talk about how hard it is to prove a hate crime. Georgia's population of Asians is 4% out of the entire population, yet the shooter, Aaron Long, chose to go to three Asian massage parlors, and six of the victims were Asian. It is, I'm not a lawyer, but it is clear his intent to kill these people. And when he said that it was a sexual addiction, that is ridiculous. He that area is surrounded by strip clubs, and I'm sure there are bathhouses and things like that that he can go to, but he chose to go to these Asian massage parlors, and yet they're still saying that it's not a hate crime, which I don't know to, to you, but to me, that is ridiculous. Yeah. That is very obviously a hate crime. Oh, yeah, and the fact that there's so many people who've like, really gone down the the rabbit hole with this and the fact that even his route and the spas that he had picked there were so mm-hmm. many in between like he literally mm-hmm. specifically skipped like tens 20 businesses drove a, mm-hmm. a length to get to the next one it was like what? between where he lived and where the massage parlors were he drove a length it wasn't even, I, I was like, let me check this out. And I was looking at it and I was like, oh yeah, like <laughs> it isn't, it, it's, it's quite a drive. And the fact that one, he could have driven that much while there was a mass murder that happened. Second, even when they had the murder happen and the, the cops arrived on scene, I, I believe there was another story of one of the victim's husband who was Hispanic, was arrested and then put into jail and was still in jail as the murderer was already apprehended. And I was like, are you you kidding me? (laughs) This is crazy. And while I understand there should be some scrutiny with identifying what is and what isn't a hate crime, I think at this moment the argument to counter what isn't a hate crime is weaponized against us at this moment Mm. to not address the crimes as it is. And if we want to go by the books, we also have to scrutinize who made the rules, right? Who made Mm -hmm. all of the stipulations that go into defining what is a hate crime? And... When we dig a little bit further, we see, yeah, it's just all white folks gathering in a room 
trying to establish some rules saying, okay, this happens and it's a hate crime. And so when it comes to laws, rules, we have to be open at adjusting and changing it that best suits helping and saving populations. Otherwise, when we keep cementing in, well, the book says otherwise. The book also said at one point, black folks were the equivalent of half of a white individual. The books at one point also said women should not have the power to vote. The books also said that Asians should not be allowed into the country. The books has said many things. And so right now what we're seeing and what we're seeing blatantly in front of our faces, the books say hate crime is this, but (laughs) it's not working for us. It's not. And unless we voice it, that's the only way we can promote change. It's so inundated into us that we have to remain silent because we're just lucky to be in this country that a lot of us don't speak up. And it's really disappointing, especially over the course of the last year when these crimes have just exponentially increased and it's just happening every single day to our elderly, to the women. It's just, it's, it's sad. Yeah. The old elderly above 65 who I also saw in another video, they were just sitting on the street doing nothing and a person proceeded to run up to them, do a jump kick, throw them onto the ground and then just walks away. Yeah, absolutely disgusting. Trump has a lot to do with this. Hmm. His rhetoric caused a lot of this. The everyday person, they will listen to their leaders when someone on such a large platform with so much yeah. power speaks in such a manner, it really puts a target on our back. Yeah. So we Absolutely. have to really be careful with the language that we use in these situations, especially when you're in a position of power. We also just need to practice just putting our foot down more instead of trying to find ways of validating our opinions, our feelings through logical hoops we just have to put our foot down and say this is not okay period versus okay give me the rules of identifying what is not good what is a hate crime let me try to figure out mm-hmm. and give you all the mathematics behind it it's again it's like very performative it's basically aggressors just putting all these rules in place and saying try to come at me now <laughs> so sinister I think this kind of circles back to a conversation that we had last week where I was talking about how my mother always expects me to be this feline, you know, feline piety where I'm, I never sit back. I never say my opinion. I never have a different opinion. And so I told her like, if she wanted to be a son, she should have stayed in Vietnam because I'm I'm an American. I think that is an issue that a lot of Asian Americans are dealing with because we're so influenced by Confucianism and told not to speak up because we're lucky to be in this country that like we just have to put our head down and just keep on working. No, we are products of our environment. This is the environment that we are in right now. We are being killed. We're being abused on the streets. So it's up to us to take it upon ourselves to really fight back. 
to be aware of situations. There's been so many movements like the Asians with Attitude creating a task force to go out and helping our people, volunteers all over. San Francisco Fire Department is now part of the task force to go out into Chinatown and to help our people. We can't expect that others will step in for us every single time. We have to stand up for ourselves. We have to stand our ground. In the workplace, too. In real life, in the workplace, and also romantic relationships. Putting our foot down Mm -hmm. when somebody says something that's not good, fucked up, and saying, I'm not going to stand by it. I feel like we've all been in that situation where Mm -hmm. we were dating in the atmosphere and they said some sort of microaggression that we just chuckled at because we didn't want to cause any waves. Fuck yeah. that. Cause this fucking tsunami. We need to fucking change this shit. We've been around for a long time. Yeah. And I get the mindfulness. And I'm glad that you've... There's, I've seen an evolution over, your, over the course of the last <laughs> year to really... <laughs> to be angry. Like, angry is okay. Angry, angry can be used and channeled for a purpose and it it can be later on be absolved but we can't just sit around and not do anything about it because it's not helping the situation and unless an individual chooses to change they go extinct if you don't speak up for yourself who will you live your life for too we have such limited time on this earth and we bend over backwards doing so many things And what helps me, at least, to snap out of this illusion of having to live life for others around me is just also reminding myself that there are other folks who don't have the means as I do. And Mm -hmm. I think especially us as Asian American, having laws in place that are way better than many of our counterparts, right? Queer Asian Americans here compared to queer Asians in Asia who live in countries where their being is still criminalized. Mm -hmm. And yet we are so wrapped up in trying to either fit in or trying to judge one another and putting each other on blast because of, oh, you didn't say this thing correct or whatever. I get we all have an opportunity to learn and grow, but we have to be mindful of the privilege that we have, especially being a diaspora with privilege way more than other folks in other mm-hmm. countries. When I think about that, it just allows me to just snap out and just reorient myself and how can I show up for my community. And one thing that has been on my mind too is this disparate information that's scattered everywhere, right? It seemed like when all the mm-hmm. hate crimes are happening, we couldn't even land on a hashtag. And we were like, people are still debating on what hashtag to use for the movement. And there's so many accounts also trying to create their own hashtag. Remember when there was mm-hmm. a, a account that tried to make like yellow boxes a thing too? <laughs> oh God. Or, or when they were trying to do Asian Lives Matter, we can't co-opt another group. We can't do that. We have to create this movement for ourselves. But I, I get what you're saying about all of this, but it's it also shows that it was a time where we were organizing, where we were seeing what was happening in, in our country and to our people. And so these people were scrambling to try to voice themselves. So yeah. I do see the uh, positive side of that. We just have to reflect inwards as 
the larger Asian community and figure out ways that we can uplift one another. Unfortunately, I see in our community denigrate each other and mm -hmm. thinking that is a way that we can move forward. Who else is going to stand up for us? If we can't even show up as a community for one another, if we cannot build a bridge within our own community, how are we going to help other people outside of our community figure out what to do for us? So I'm just going to put my foot down and say, if you can't show up with Asian love for the Asian community, work on that first. <laughs> <laughs> what I've been seeing and I've been honestly irked by is just a lot of folks trying to address toxic masculinity at the moment by denigrating our Asian, mask Asian folks. I don't think this is really the time to denigrate people in our community while we're getting murdered. And mm -hmm. I think everything has a time and place. But at the same time, I think this also points to the larger issue of, yes, there is misogyny in Asia. Yes, there is a lot of cultural differences that we should look at and address. But I also see mm -hmm. a lot of second generation or children of immigrants or their immigrants themselves here in the West that think addressing the issues in Asia here in the West is somehow going to carry over and impact Asia. Our community here in the West is a very different community than Asia. And whatever you do, whatever we work on here in the West, it is not going to necessarily trickle out into Asia. And we think we're somehow, oh, if you're Asian here in America, it's Asian there. And I think this is just such closed-minded thinking, believing that we're all a monolith. <laughs> Whatever you do here is somehow going to affect there. The people who did immigrate out of Asia specifically was looking for something different than what was in Asia. Mm -hmm. There's so much more to unpack there, and people just have to learn that what we have in the West, the diaspora of Asian population here in the West, Asian Americans, even Asian Australians, Asian Europeans, it's just so different from the community in Asia. And if we want to address the issues in Asia, then we go to Asia, right? Then we go to Asia, mm -hmm. identify the people who we want to address in Asia and have a conversation there. But if we want mm -hmm. to address the issues in America, then we talk to the Asian Americans, but yeah, it took me a while to understand that. What I want to touch on is I have been posting for the last year, and I will check who reads my stories. And a lot of these people, like, I have gotten messages where they're saying, thank you, we didn't realize what was happening in America with Asians and things like that. But I see a lot of people that I know just, just seeing the story, not acting out, not speaking out at all. It's really frustrating. And, and it's, I'm not trying to say that, trying to denigrate them or whatever, but I am saying, like, you have a stake in this as well. And if you have a stake in this, you should work for it as well. I stopped looking at who looks at my stuff. I'm just... <laughs> I, I am more disappointed than... <laughs> empowered and so i just say to myself i just can't put myself in that headspace i don't blame you 
<laughs> I've just really struggled with social media lately and I feel so much better when I'm not on it. But I feel that, especially in this time and age, this is really the only means of communicating with one another. What else? What other platforms exist where we communicate with one another and share stories with one another that isn't Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, right? To be fair, we do both do. You live, in, you live in New York and I live in Los Angeles and we're very our own bubbles yeah. compared to what the rest of America is. I also believe, too, there's stuff probably happening in other parts of America that are not getting documented, that don't have bystanders readily available to capture mm -hmm. the information. And so while we might be seeing it in metropolitan city, it could also be due to the concentration of people. But I also believe that it is happening everywhere. And we just don't have, right, businesses with cameras looking out into the street that can capture this kind of stuff. I completely agree yeah. with that. I mean, just culturally, we're told not to make waves, right? So yeah. a lot of times when these crimes are committed, they're not reported. Yeah. Not at all reported. And if they're not reported and they want to be reported, there's a language barrier there. More recently... I think about a year ago, my friend Esther Lim actually came out with pamphlets in multiple languages, how to report a hate crime. Yeah. The fact that we had to wait this long for this to come along, yeah. it's, it's really disappointing. Yeah, I know. It's, I wrote this in my article on Queerty about how we just, we oscillate between being so active. We're like, oh, I'm so inspired. And then... The other part is we're just so defeated sometimes where it's just like, oh, I'm so drained. Because it weighs heavily on our soul. It's funny because something I experienced over the last year was, was people not liking me <laughs> or unfollowing me because I'm promoting issues at hand. If we don't talk about it, it's not going to change. Like, how else are we going to do this? And the fact is, all these people that unfollowed literally i bled three four hundred followers last summer from posting about blm and you know what these people benefit from speaking out about this as well they might not like hearing about it and seeing it but the fact is they are benefiting from it it's not them their family their grandparents their parents their nephews their nieces like they're facing a lot of anti-asian sentiment in schools these children who aren't equipped to deal with this and are already dealing with growing up have, having to deal with this kind of bullying as well. I've lost so many followers too and I'm at the point where I'm just, I'm like, it's okay. It's I think okay. people actually think that posting these things. We actually don't. <laughs> we do not like yes. posting. I hate having to post this. I hate what? having to, I really hate having to post it, but I post it because I, I think it's important. And even yesterday I was posting about people in pain, people crying, all the stuff that was happening in Myanmar, people burnt. Because I think this story is just so important. It is absolutely atrocious. I hate having to post these things because it, it's a little jarring and it doesn't feel good to read it. But at the same time, I don't think 
what's happening in Myanmar is getting the amount of attention it deserves globally. Mm-hmm. I don't think political leaders are doing what they need to do. But even like the Asian hate crimes, I, I hate having to post these stories all the time. My, my stuff is about mindfulness, equity, and mindfulness, yeah. Let's have some inspirational quotes. Let's hugs, kisses, smooches, like all this stuff. But I don't think that's reality. When people are dying, people are getting hurt, murdered around us. You know why? It's, it's just this struggle, right? Where it's like... It's reality versus what we want it to be. I think a good summation of what you just said is yeah. a quote by Wynn that says, the opposite of love is not hate, it is apathy. If we don't care for others, how do we expect others to care for us? Mm. I can't go beyond that. I see so many of my international friends now posting about the issues here in America, and they're yeah. starting to realize America's not that great. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Asia's going through their own shit too, where True. like it's absolutely crazy. It's just we have issues in Hong Kong and China, we have issues happening in Myanmar, issues in Southeast Asia, in the Philippines. It's a privilege to us to not care about it, basically. Yeah. Or to those that don't care about it. It's to a to live a life that isn't affected by <laughs> it. Yeah. I want to share a story where I'm very anti Chick fil A. I they Oh, I hate Chick fil A. I don't use hate lightly. <laughs> yes. You can use the differences between Chick fil A and Barilla. They were both homophobic. What Barilla did, after they said that they wouldn't feature a gay family, they really took it to heart when they heard the activism speak out about it. Mm-hmm. They became one of the most diverse companies after that are most inclusive for the gay community. Mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A, however, donated to organizations that promoted conversion therapy, which... Oh, they still donate. It's just not directly. It's through other organizations that donate their money to these organizations. And I don't think people realize how cruel conversion therapy is. How, how traumatic it is. Like you're sat there and you're shocked or you're shown images that you're supposed to like. It's horrible. So I was posting about Chick-fil-A and how I'm not a fan of it. And I don't know, I think I posted the Popeye's chicken sandwich. And somehow this person said, I still prefer Chick-fil-A and goes on this diatribe about not liking people tell them what they like to eat. And then he started further saying that, oh, he has, gay friends that a husband and gay couple that own a Chick-fil-A and they're doing just fine. In that moment, you realize he did not realize his privilege and he really like, and he's at this position where he doesn't have to care. He lives in Los Angeles. He can use these examples. And honestly, anecdotal evidence is the most idiotic of all evidences because it relies on a specific story that happened to them that doesn't speak to the larger audience at hand. Just because it happened to you doesn't mean it happens to everyone else. Your one Asian friend that said it was okay for you to say chink, it's not okay. And the fact that those people that do say that, like the Asian people that accept those microaggressions, yo, you are the problem. You are a large part of the problem because (laughs) we're, we're trying to change right now. Yeah. We're trying to be humanized. We're trying to be respected. Yeah. 
People don't realize that when you do damage, actual damage, it was an apathy, right? Chick-fil-A was not apathetic to queer folks. Mm -hmm. Like they just minded their own business. No, they actively are hurting, impacting mm -hmm. LGBTQ folks. And an apology, a tweet, I don't think undoes the damage that they did they need to actively participate in pro lgbt issues fund lgbt issues yeah. to even get to the point where they're at zero they're negative and so a lot of queer folks are, exactly this is debt <laughs> yeah you went into debt right it's a credit card you went into debt and you're still in the negatives. And so a lot of queer folks are like, oh, they say they're hiring more diverse now. And I tell them, are they really? What have they said? What have they done? Where's the proof? And until they do that, they are in my burn book. Oh, Chick-fil-A. And maybe to wrap up this episode, we just talked about so many things happening. And for people who are listening, what do we do? WTF do we do? How do we move forward? First tip I have for people is you gotta you gotta take care of yourself during this time. And while showing up and doing the work and putting stuff on social media is really important, if you don't take care of your first and take time off, go offline, I have to do that sometimes here and there. And if we cannot do that, we cannot show up for a community. I think moving forward, I don't, I, I try not to indulge in trauma porn. I think is everyone is aware that these crimes are happening against Asian yeah. people. And I'm thankful that people like Olivia Munn and mm -hmm. Daniel Day Kim, which have large platforms, had a tidal wave of support. Mm -hmm. with it. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm not letting others just do the work. I will still promote what is important and what needs to change mm -hmm. i'm not just gonna sleep on it and i'm not also gonna indulge in just the vitriol of all of it yeah and i've been noticing some of my more active friends on social media starting to take time off of social media altogether and mm -hmm. to that i'm <laughs> like yeah you go do that it's just it is not healthy and we're just only talking about the post, but then you go into the comments mm -hmm. section, like, oh my <laughs> god, I, 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 I will specifically not look at comments so that I don't get into that rabbit hole. Yeah, I follow a lot of black and Latino supporters. Yeah. I a lot of sites in general or Instagrams in general and when they do post about solidarity yeah. jumping into the comment section is just so exhausting so I just try to focus on the ones that are trying to do good yeah the ones that are with us not the ones that are against us yeah no time no attention or not against us but not willing to change and try to support us absolutely and I guess for allies if allies are listening to this, my advice is, one, definitely check in with your Asian friends, but proposing what you want to do, how you want to help, how you're going to show up, and putting that on social media. 
But also, I don't think we have to tell people, I am like, how are you doing? Tell me about your day, all these things. I think we just have to say to people, I'm here for you, no matter what. You tell me what you need. I got your back. I think that's so much more powerful <laughs> than asking the question of, how are you doing? Because it doesn't reframe it to be, what are you doing? It's still just asking a question. And mm-hmm. when we can approach our conversation from the perspective of, what are we doing? How are we taking accountability? How are we showing up? I think that is much stronger solidarity. I, mm-hmm. I want to share a story that what happened to me the other day. I reopened the shop maybe yeah. about a month ago, and I received a bouquet of flowers mm. two days ago with a card from four families saying they know what's going on in the, <laughs> in the world right now, in America right now with Asian Americans, and that I was very much appreciated and belonged in the community here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That meant more to me than mm. like that. I was bawling. I'm sorry, but I was mm. bawling. That, like to feel like we belong, which what is essentially what we are fighting for. Mm-hmm. Not this foreignness, not this otherness, but we belong here. Like just be a good friend, just be mm. a good ally. Yeah. It's not that hard. I'm just reminding people that you appreciate them versus. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> it's just, yeah. I think it's more exhausting for me to have to explain, like, how am I doing? I feel like you can just take a look at my Instagram stories to see how I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's up? funny because people probably think I'm psycho yeah. because I go from posting about Asian hate crimes till something <laughs> joyful or like a good, like inspirational quote. And no, I'm not psycho. I'm just good at uh, compartmentalizing. Uh, I don't need to. <laughs> nowadays. I do the same thing. I'm just <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like some of my stuff, it's like dark humor that I find on TikTok. And I'm like, oh, this is good. And I just post that like back to back with like me diving in and like really. <laughs> Talking about like racial. Make the stallion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to make the stallion. But, actually, she don- donated $50,000 to the victims. I that saw. Line, which is commendable. I saw. I was very impressed and happy. And also, being more aware of your surroundings, right? Especially for Asian folks during this time. Just being more aware of your surroundings in the instances when you are in very tricky positions to not engage with people whose minds are not there. I think a lot of people are apt to start recording, right? Start defending themselves. But I I think we're just at a state where some people just have really bad intention. And Mm -hmm. is it worth getting into argument and then maybe putting our lives in jeopardy versus being safe, sharing the story. And then maybe if you're at a safe distance, then maybe starting to capture or have somebody else capturing it for you. If you see a person just standing by, I think that is much more powerful than jeopardizing your life because then you have no more voice, unfortunately. And so I've just been reminding people just to be mindful of your surroundings, be conscious of how you engage with people, 
and to protect yourself, especially during this time. And if that means changing, adjusting some of your habits, although I absolutely hate the fact that we have to do that now, we gotta be alive so that we can talk about these issues. And if it's also materialistic things, just you gotta let some of those things go. And although I just hate having to see people put in that position, there was recently two teen girls who, uh, you know, was stealing the car of oh, yeah. this my man. Gosh. And he was just clinging onto the car for dear life because this is my car, this is my car. And then as he was clinging on, they, they turned on the car, sped the car, crashed the car. This man was flung out of the car, ended up dying on the spot, and yeah, it's 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 not good. But that stuff is not worth it. It's wallet, phone, car, you can get it back. It might it might be a lot more work and post about your story. Allow the community to help you, but these material desires we can't be so attached to it i think this kind of circles back into the mm-hmm. last podcast we did about anti-asian sentiments or whatever i said make them famous or make them poor yeah. <laughs> and people this last year have really taken that to heart they've been recording they've been getting people fired this is it's sad but we have to this is what we have to do to get people to respect us and it is a very precarious line that we have to toe where, yes, these materialistic things, we can just let go, but the overall sentiment is still that Asians will not fight back and that we continue to propagate this narrative that we are passive and meek and won't fight back. So it's hard. I know it's hard, but just be smart about it. Even things like pointing out people in your surroundings, bystanders, are you just going to stand there and let people do this? It, this is racist. That is how you create some. That is how you create a defense system. You point people out because the bystander effect is very real, and unless they feel personally involved in it, they won't get involved. So you have to. I think you can point people out. Are you going to let stand for it? You can even point out standing next. You have to. Yeah. 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 You have to even point pointing people at people, out. even if someone's going on a racist tirade, you can point to the person that they're with. You have point to this person and tell them you have a personal responsibility in this as well because this is who you are with and this is a reflection of who you are. Yeah. This isn't a television show where you're watching a victim get murdered. You are in the situation with me. You have to point people out. And if one person isn't going to respond, then you move on to the next person. You just tell them, help me do this. No room for politeness. <laughs> Can you help me, please? If you have that, mm-hmm. no, just get to the point. Enough with the pleasantries. There's no time for that. And there are more resources online. There's a bystander intervention training. If you Google that, there's a lot of documentation on it. Oh, that looks really great. Yeah, and I think it's really helpful to learn, especially if you're in the position how can you help? And mm-hmm. I think especially when you're witnessing something, if you're not in the vicinity of the crime happening to you, you are empowered to help with whatever resources you have. You can call the police on their behalf immediately, right? 
and then maybe somebody else. You can even, as a bystander, you can pull other people in to help the situation. Sometimes we forget as a bystander, what can I do? You actually have more power and privilege at that moment than being the victim mm -hmm. to actually step in and help and not necessarily going in between because you have to also assess, right? Like, how is this going to be safe? You just got to be smart about it. And if there's ways that you can help de-escalate, help get the right resources connected, help record, that's going to help save lives. I think I saw a quote today that said, my fear is not so much being the victim of a hate crime. Mm -hmm. My fear is being victim of a hate crime and everyone standing around and thinking I probably deserved it because of how I looked. We really have to be empathetic to people and their plight. Even if it's not our own, it's just, this is how we create a better world. We have to care about others' issues and really that's how we get them to care about us showing them that we care of what their situation is, how their life is, how they're being affected in all of this. And that, it won't always work, but that helps create this connection with people. And so they want to know how we're doing, how, what life we're going through, how Absolutely. they can help. And to everyone listening, especially if you're Asian, queer Asian, just so much compassion for you and just so much love, so much empathy for what everyone's going through. And we'll get through this. We, we have to get through this. And yeah, we just, it's a little hump. It's a little hump in the hill. And as we are learning how to be smarter, as learning how to be safer, as learning how to have a stronger voice. We'll get through this. We will. Yeah. Any last words, last takeaway, Derek? I just hope anyone listening, some, some of this has helped, and I hope anyone that's listening that hasn't done anything, at least we have prepared you at least to protect yourself, mm -hmm. if not to help protect others. Yeah, it's a, it's a duty. What it's a strong duty to protect the weak. Yeah, how can people find you? Um, they can find me via Instagram. My handle is Find Your Fearless, and that's basically it. Go follow Derek, and then if you want to follow me, at Stephen Wakabayashi on most of the platforms, and then the ones that my name could not fit the character count. Um, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Waka, isn't it? Waku, W-A-K-U-U. -U. Yeah. Oh. It's like, I'm like, I try to change all my names. And then Twitter was like, your name is too long. I'm like, oh. So <laughs> it is what it is. And for everyone, thank you for listening. Really appreciate your time. And hope your day can be a bit more mindful, compassionate, and ready for what the future may bring. Talk to you later. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.